Welcome to a, another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. We've had a few weeks off. We've done a few, done two uh, college football shows, but then we're back with some regular programming. It's been a somewhat eventful few weeks for the Seahawks. So we're going to go through all that with myself, Stuart Court, and as ever, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? Seven years ago today, I was in Seattle, me, my boy Joey, my aunt, hoofing the fireball for the first time. <laughs> Ugh, memories, memories. Very sad, very sad. Well, before we get on that then, we'll, we'll, we'll dive in on that. I was, seven years ago, you were in Seattle. I was in um, the casino at the home of rugby, as it's now known, I think, um, Rico Arena. Um, and I think I think I've said I've said this a few times, but all I don't remember much of the first half. Obviously, we talked to Cliff last year about the first play. All I remember is at halftime, just sitting there going, Eesh. I think we said it to Mike when he was over in London as well. And then when Percy broke, turning round with my arms outstretched, and my mate who's a Rams fan coming out of the bathroom and just like looking at me and just shaking his head and retreating back into the bathroom just to avoid me for a few 45 seconds more. It was, it's just unbelievable. That, yeah, like that, I think we've said this before. It's one of my favorite sporting things is that Percy having kickoff return. 100%. I could, I could watch it all day. Yeah, I have been. <laughs> Uh, but it's yeah. like, but also like p- people like Mac on the Harvin trade. And I get that because yeah. in an idea where it didn't work out, but in American football, it's not like the premier league where you could win the FA cup. You could qualify for the champions league. You could win the league cup. The only point of competing is to win a super bowl. Yeah. And if you win the super bowl, that is an unequivocal success that you can't even, you can't even debate it. No. So the idea that, the guy that makes one of the most brilliant plays in the time you win the Super Bowl wouldn't be seen as a success. Like, I get it. Like, we all want to be fake GMs and talk about cap space and projected picks. Like, he won the Super Bowl with, and it he didn't win it, but that play helped to win it, and it was one of the best plays ever. Like, it was wicked. It sealed it. Like, I know it's 43-8, but... It, it did make a difference. What, what would that make it? 29? 29. Nil? If we'd gone three and out there and you get the ball back to Peyton with, you know, 12 minutes to go in the, in the, in the third quarter. Yeah. I know that obviously the defence was dominating as uh, everyone is talking. Everyone about. was reminding us in the championship weekend uh, of the playoff games, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But anything could have happened in that game, in that second half. And that was the dagger. And mm. um, yeah, like the only thing that matters is winning Super Bowls. And uh I kind of feel that's something that should crystallise all Seahawk debate going forward because I've seen a lot of stuff about, you know, people saying they'd rather have the Seahawks last five years than Denver. And I get it in a way, if you want to be like a Mount Pius GM of, oh, look how good we are for the future. But Denver won a Super Bowl. We didn't. That's kind of all that matters. It's not like something bullshit like Arsenal fans, like the FA Cup. (laughs) This stuff that actually matters. Um We've been on for four minutes and you've already got out your two regular go at people. Um, it's, like, it's, like, it's like this year, like I, the Jamal Adams trade is going to be a conversation. Obviously, Rob Staten's wrote yesterday talking mm. about maybe it would be an idea to try and work a trade market for him. But for me, trading Jamal Adams worked and was worth it. But it, but like we all we did with Jamal, with Jamal Adams this year is win the division, which is an achievement but like compare it to what 
the impact he had on the field compared to what the impact Harvin had on the field, but the impact Harvin had on the biggest game that Percy Harvin was a part of, and the impact that Jamal Adams didn't have for whatever reason had on the biggest game he played, it kind of it kind of shows that it, the Harvin trade worked just in a different context, isn't it? I just feel like the idea that you wouldn't replicate every single thing that the Seahawks did in those two years or like trying to pick holes in strategy, like just get over yourself. It was wicked. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It's impossible to replicate. Yeah. Because you like, yeah, like the reason the reason that team was so good is because they were so unique in like every it was it was a team, but they were in individuals, weren't they? Because like as Cam said in that players tribune thing, which we'll get onto in a bit. Like Sherm was like no one else. Earl, as we've seen since he what the last two and a half years, was yeah, it's yeah, I, yeah. I just want to watch Percy Harvin kick off return. Also, the biggest disappointment that night is that I had money on Cam and Percy and or Percy to win the MVP. So after that kickoff return in the first half, Cam had had. I was like, here we go. And then obviously, Malcolm Smith wins it, and will forever be um, a quiz question answer because. It should have been Cam, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, I feel I feel like I scrambled around Seattle for the last. I don't know when I went home from that trip. I was <laughs> I was there for the parade. Yeah, because that was Wednesday. Yeah, the parade was on a Wednesday, and I feel like I would have stayed for a weekend because the weekends are always great. So I I probably left like the following. Yeah, I did. I arrived in Super Bowl week, and I stayed for two weeks. And I remember spending the, the last five or six days doing anything I could to get hold of a Cam Chancellor jersey and you just couldn't get one. Love nor money. So I think definitely that week had an impact uh, on that. And um, yeah, I, th- I think Cam was probably the people's MVP for that yeah. game. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, Smith had the former recovery as well, didn't he? On when Maxwell punched it out on yeah. Mary Thomas. Anyway, seven years ago that was, and it kind of makes what we're going to talk about maybe slightly more uh, depressing. The Seahawks, obviously, the season's long gone. It feels like the season ended a lot longer ago than it did. That might just be 2021, COVID, lockdowns and everything else. I've watched a full run of a TV show since last time we did a pod. That's the five series, 98 episodes of a TV show I've watched. That's I think I've watched a few weeks of them. Close to 40 hours of Downton Abbey since we lasted the podcast. <laughs> so in fairness, I probably can't I probably can't say much more. Well, to be fair, the TV show I watched a 20-minute episode, so you may have me beat on that one as well. Um but yeah, the Seahawks uh two day a day after we podded last, fired mm. uh Brian Schottheimer former offensive coordinator after three seasons 36 hours after Pete Carroll said that both him and Ken Norton were likely not to be going anywhere um, we've seen everything everyone has already probably heard and read enough about it so we'll try and keep this part brief but it was everything about it was sudden surprising it was somewhat um, tenuous what what we were going to be talking about once they hired the new guy Adam yeah, I mean, I, I think, didn't we say that we wouldn't pod until we hired someone just so yeah. that we would do it in one go? Yeah. That ended up taking a lot longer than <laughs> I think we thought it would do, which is why we can probably only apologize to the loyal listeners that we're waiting for uh, our shite takes on all this. But look, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. Pete Carroll's either being very respectful to his coordinators uh, and not talking about them when he was going to fire them, 
But he did say pretty clearly on 7.10 that he expects both to be back. Yeah. He then gave his press conference about not just running it better, but running it more. And that sent and social also, media into meltdown. And also, shut, I think it was Joe Fan down when he repeated the question. That You're right. Times. He did. He did. He shut him down and said it was a disrespectful question when he'd answered it like an hour earlier on, <laughs> yeah. on the radio, which was really strange. <laughs> yeah. And then you get, it must have been midnight here and yeah. just doing nothing. And all of a sudden, a really weird tweet from the Seahawks. It wasn't even like shot and hurt. It, it said something about we respect. It didn't it was tag all, him. No, but it said something like, Brian Schottenheimer is a great person and a great whatever. It was almost like they missed the first tweet and this was the follow-up quote about it. Yeah. And for my money, I can't look at it and think that it was anything but there was an argument after the press conference because yeah. otherwise it just doesn't make any sense to me. So Pete did the press conference Monday about nine o'clock and the, the tweet came out midnight, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Yeah. Russell Wilson said a week later that he found out Tuesday night. He didn't really seem to know when he was found out. I don't know if that's selective memory or what. But yeah, the whole, like, Brian Shot, like, yeah, it was really, really weird. It was, wasn't it? It was strange. It was just because the Seahawks have, like, another thing we'll get onto the Chad Wheeler thing. They only reacted, we'll get onto all that, but even with that, it was like a nice, defined graphic, a statement, da 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 But Schottenheimer got, what, 180 characters on the tweet, wasn't tagged, no link for more information, just, yeah, the blow-up. It was almost like, this is going to get out, we need to get out in front of it. Because no one broke it. Chef, the Rappaport, obviously Rappaport didn't break it, but no one broke it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the tweet was the, the, the pipe bomb on um, yeah it was it was weird um, yeah so Brian Schottenheimer is no more I mean we weren't massive fans of Schottenheimer but it, 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 it wasn't really to completely blame it doesn't sound like he had as much say as maybe they tried to make out well I think that's it isn't it I mean if he's let's be generous and say it was a mutual parting as opposed mm. to him being fired or resigning. Mm. But if it's a philosophy thing and we know that the philosophy of the offense changed quite dramatically in the last seven, eight weeks of the season, yeah. even if the numbers didn't stack up, it wasn't as DK Metcalf infamously said with Brandon Marshall, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, throw deep. It wasn't quite like that, but it was pretty vanilla. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I've said this before. All of the national media might be wrong, or they could be right, and the offense isn't getting the best out of its stars. So, if that's the case, it 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 would strike me that maybe Pete Carroll had the ham had the handbrake on what Schottenheimer was allowed to do after the Buffalo game, which I always see, for my opinion, as Pete kind of went into his coaches meeting that Monday morning and said, "You see, I told you, it doesn't work." <laughs> But yeah, but also, like, it showed how much control and say that Carroll had over everything because, like, you understand after Buffalo, the week after, look, we're going to run the ball 25, 35 times, Carson, Hyde, whoever was healthy that week, get back, 
right the ship and then go again but they just never did go again and when they did go again um it didn't work and looked awful um yes. yeah it, it was it was quite a um a slug panic began to set in i think we saw some of the names dave canales turned down a pretty decent college job vanderbilt aren't i mean they're not um they haven't really ever replicated what james franklin did before he went to penn state there but it's a pretty decent college job he turned that down you're like here we go Brennan Carroll's announcement at Arizona, Arizona State was some, uh, delayed by a couple of days. So you, you thought nepotism's coming through again. And then sort of out of nowhere, we get the guy who coordinated Jared Goff to <laughs> completely ruin his relationship with Sean McVay. Um, I know Rob Stater is, seems quite uh, upbeat about what, what this could mean. He spoke to the press a few hours ago before we started recording this. Um, I don't know anything about Shane Waldron. I'm not even sure if that's, if I've said his name right. And it's a pretty simple name to say, um, <laughs> but it, his CV reads better than it could have. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think it's my, my view with coaches is you should never not fire one because you're worried about who could come in and replace them. <laughs> For me, I'd always rather roll the dice on someone. Are you still, we still talk about the Seahawks, sir. <laughs> uh, we're dabbling. If something's, if something's not working, you cut ties. Mm. And then whoever comes in is a crapshoot and you hope it's going to be okay and not a bad call. I feel like the Seahawks cut ties because philosophically between the head coach and the offensive coordinator, it wasn't working. And I don't feel bummed about the guy they brought in but maybe that's because I don't really know who he is and what he's about and therefore I'm not coming at it with the priors that someone like an Adam Gase or best one that Anthony Lynn like even that link gave me the creeps because of the time management and stuff like that yeah so I sort of feel impossible to be negative negative about it because I don't know enough about it to be negative so I'm I'm you know, he's not really got any pedigree whatsoever, if I'm being honest with us. It's a, it's a massive step up for the guy. Um, and it'll be on him to see if he can make it work. Yeah, but also, Sean Hyper had um, some bad juju around the most of his time at the Jets. And Georgia, he failed to win much or win anything meaningful, despite having Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb to call upon there as well. Um, he said that when he was asked about marrying the desires of Russ and Pete and he made his he, he wanted to make clear his goal will be balance but a balanced approach is not a conservative approach which in what the 2nd of February is obviously just lip service and we're going to have to wait 6, 7, 8 months I mean maybe even see what they do in free agency and um, in the draft and some, well, the 4 or 5 picks they actually do have in the draft um, and see if that kind of matches up That'll be for people, jobs of people who know more about that kind of thing than we do. But yeah, like I, I, it, I think his CV kind of you look at it, you go look. But also on that same thing, he doesn't have any like war wounds. He's been at the Rams with a pretty decent offense. Obviously, the main handcuff was the former quarterback, but like he's they 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 won games, which is all really you can ask and. He clearly saw himself well, and I think this—I can't remember where it came out from last week—but 
that um, Waldron, Ward Waldron was uh, Russell Wilson's guy, which is possibly the most encouraging part of all of it, that yes, Russ could be falling back in line, which he seemed to glance, his, glance a look over the other side of one or two times in his uh, end of year press conference after Schottenheimer was fired. But I mean, that is probably the most encouraging part that Russell Wilson is on board. Uh, Waldron sold him however that however that went about with obviously the current climate Adam yeah I mean it's all going to come down to Pete and how much he meddles um listen to Mike Holmgren speak over the last couple of weeks he's made a much bigger deal of the idea that they didn't like the fourth down play and had to and basically messed up that Rams game on the back of that with the head coach meddling in the offensive coordinator's job and he basically said that that would for him be enough as an offensive coordinator to feel this ain't for me. So that's interesting. And how Pete reacts to a new guy is interesting. Um, it, I thought it was very illuminating that Pete was saying, we want to get teams out of playing two high safeties against us. Um, and funnily, it, it kind of completely clashes with how he views offense to how he views defense. Because when he's defending... All he's trying to do is get teams to run 13 or 14 plays in a long drive because he feels that they'll eventually make a mistake. Offensively, he's sort of now trying to get the team to have lots of plays of four, five, six-yard chunk plays. Well, not even chunk, you know, good runs to force teams out of too high safety. But by his own admission, why would a team come out of too high safety and give us the deep shot? When actually, if we're running for five yards a pop against them, that takes 18 runs to get from your own 10 to their end zone. So I found that interesting. And I think someone crystallized it quite well on Twitter in the sense that if someone was running for four or five yards against Pete Carroll, he would come out of too high safety. But I wonder if we're in for a bit of a rude awakening there in the sense that teams are just going to say, you're not getting deep against us. What else have you got with your 5'11 quarterback and your mediocre offensive line? And I think that is going to be where next season already is going to be won and lost. Yeah. Also, it does help if that's why they need that kind of third passing option. You've got Lockett and Metcalf getting two, nearly two and a half thousand yards. And then you had just nothing pretty much. I mean, Chris Carson was not much of a factor in the uh, past game. Obviously, Penny barely played. Carlos Hyde was barely a factor. And the tight ends amassed like 150 yards on about 100 catches somehow. Um, but yeah, like, what's that? Is that two two star players scoring all of your points and the rest of them doing absolutely nothing? I can't relate to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, touche. Uh, but yeah, that, like, yeah, it's just it's it's a wait and see. It's the biggest thing in the NFL. Obviously, there's a lot of teams waiting and seeing. It just it was just yeah. It's it's good. I really do think there'll be some towels. There might be some towels come in. Um, free agency and the draft the Seahawks also dived into the Rams coaching pool and hired Andy Dickerson as the new run game coordinator um, basically after nine years of being uh, the same job for the Rams he's the last holdover coach from the Jeff Fisher uh, Rams era as well and obviously from that uh, St. Saint, Saint Louis, Louis years as well, um, one thing on that Dickerson home, it's obviously, again, a name I've never heard of. Um, he's the first time a Seahawks coach looks, he's the most Seahawks looking, the most me looking Seahawks coach as well, I think. Um, 
it's weird that we haven't heard really heard anything from or about Mike Solari, Adam, because that suggests that he's going to come in and install, as Matty Brown's been pointing out the last couple of weeks since the highs are made official somewhat, um, that um, the run game is going to be blocked and done differently. Obviously, I'm going to get into that because that's way above our um, mental capacity. But it, it, it's, it's interesting how silent the salary part of this is, isn't it? Because bringing in a new guy to coordinate the run game while your O-line coach, is, there surely has to be some sort of crossover there and it's just radio silence. Well, we'll have Matty on soon for our Patreon listeners, but the good thing is that he's taken all the, the, the news very well with lots of composure. So that's the most important <laughs> thing we can say about it so far. I uh, love you, Matty. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't understand why everyone needs why you need so many coaches it it's amazing to me it's it's like it's a bit jackie moon and since you have an offensive coordinator and a run game coordinator and a passing coordinator like what's the offensive coordinator doing obviously there is plenty for all of them to do but um i i can't i don't know enough about the intricacies i mean who was the seahawks run game coordinator last season is that mike solari i guess so can i the past game because as far as I'm concerned, we've, I, I can't think of that we've had one before. And I feel like you'd know all of the Seahawks coaches' names. Actually, it might have been Carol's son. Wasn't he wide receivers coach? No, that's the other one. There's two. Oh, yeah, because of course, those two would be in the top 200 people in the world at coaching NFL. I forgot about that. <laughs> Jack Collinsworth is on NBC Sports. So. That is true. Let me, I'm going to look this up. Who is the Seahawks run game coordinator? I'm pretty certain it was Brendan Carroll, or the, the Carroll that's left. Um, but yeah, like it's it's gonna be interesting. And also, again, that will be interesting to see what they do with Messi's people like Carson and Carlos Hyde in free agency, Adam. Because I mean, I, I don't think Carson will be in Seattle with the money he probably wants. I don't think Carson will be signed if he comes back to Seattle in the first month of free agency, probably. I think if he, if Carson comes back, it'll be because he hasn't got the deal he wants elsewhere. It'll, it'll be. I think Mike Dugas said, either written or on Man to Man podcast, that it'll be a clowny kind of situation where he just kind of just takes the familiarity over a few extra um, dollars in his bank account. But I wouldn't pay Chris Carson because also they don't have many draft picks. But it's also it doesn't look like a bad Seahawks style running back draft class either. There's a few guys popping up in that obviously Giovanni Williams from North Carolina Michael Carter from North Carolina um, Trey Sermon maybe Ohio State depending on what the Seahawks do with their um, stable of draft picks I've talked have you figured out who was the it was your man Brennan Carroll good good job by you yeah um, yeah probably paid way too yeah so the Seahawks have a new OC the Seahawks have a new offensive line get run game coordinator thing magic um but nothing else really has changed much else. Obviously, free agency is still five, six weeks away. The scouting combine isn't happening, so we won't really probably won't get to hear from Schneider or Pete this side of the draft more than likely now. But um, it's it, it has anything changed in your view? Three, four weeks removed from the Rams game, and you forgot who we lost to then. I don't think so. I think the season and how it shapes up will be defined around the signings or otherwise of Shaq Griffin and KJ Wright. I feel like if those guys are here, it'll feel like the same. 
if both those guys are gone, I feel like there'll be quite a lot of turnover on the roster in general and it will feel like a new era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially someone like KJ, who was such a dominant player last year. If he's not there next year, it, it'll it'll have a different tone the whole season just because he's been such a stalwart. I mean, what would he be the 11. second longest term player? Or the longest term, he would he would yeah, play longest tenured. Yeah, yeah. longest tenured player in the roster. Yeah, um, by a year. A, a year. So it, it it will take on a different tone. It feels um, like, it feels like he's been around longer. Like Matt Stafford is nine months older than Russell Wilson, and it feels like he's been in the league for about fifteen more years. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah, I, I. So do you think either of those will stay? I think KJ will be back. I don't think Shaq Griffin will be. Someone will offer Shaq Griffin more money than the Seahawks will, and they'll be wrong to do so. And I won't really be too gutted about it, I don't think, because I think he'll get like a $12, 13000000 million a year contract um, from like a Jacksonville who, you know, two hours away from UCF, they've got $70 million in cap space. Um, yeah, that's probably something that I'd, I'd almost be pretty confident. If I was betting money on anything happening in free agency with the Seahawks, it'd be Shaq Griffin to the Jaguars. Um, I, I think Carson will go to the Jets. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think the Jets got the potential to build a nice little roster for for year one of of Salah's um, Salah's tenure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think Carson again. Carson will have one of those like Deshaun Shed situations where the team will say, "Whatever you get offered, please come back to us, and we'll see if we can match it." And they'll be like, "No." Yeah. And he'll be gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So moving on. Obviously, we we touched briefly seven years ago today. Um, since Super Bowl 48 it was six years ago yesterday or Sunday um, since Super Bowl 49 and we all had to relive that Adam late last night um, this morning waking up to Cam Chancellor penning the piece apparently aimed at the players playing as a it seems it, I think it was supposed to be a preview piece but it's just kind of put all Seahawks fans through the ringer where he talks about his reaction, his feelings, watching uh, the Malcolm Butler play unwind and go down on the goal line in Arizona at the end of Super Bowl 49. Um, he says, they looked at the field and saw that we were on the one-yard line. He's like, oh, I know, we're about to give this to Marshawn. Then I saw Russ and Shotgun, and I was like, wait, what? Uh, when I saw Russ, Russ pop up, to pass it, I was as confused as anybody. I just couldn't believe it. I played that game with a torn MCL. Schoen had torn ligaments in his elbow. Earl had a torn labrum. A lot of us were hurting out there. But when there's a ring on the line, you push through. Um, oof, Adam. I had a wee at 2am last night and uh, I used my phone as a light to guide me to the bathroom. <laughs> and I saw a notification from you pop up on our WhatsApp group saying Cam on 49. I was like, well, I've got to read it now, haven't I? Because, you know, just see what's going on. And it it ruined my attempt to go back to sleep that quickly, I have to say. Um, that, so Doug Baldwin tweeted out uh, and quoted it saying, I can't wait for the 30 for 30 with the eyeballs emoji. Yeah. And I think Rob Staten, third plug for Rob, uh, wrote back saying, we don't need to watch that because we know we'll know what you've, you've been talking about it so often since. And... It is interesting that it does come up a lot and it seems to come up a lot more now. There was like a couple of years where it was almost like we don't talk about it and now there's a lot more chat about it. And you do wonder if 
the old and the new, but with Pete and Russell still being there is kind of giving a little bit of a, a dark cloud over some of the legacies of these guys but, through no fault of their own. But it also only comes up from one side of the ball as well. And Doug, who's effectively a defender yeah. in the roster. <laughs> With a receiver's number. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. But it also, but as, I think as you've pointed out a few times, the one person who never mentions it is the guy whose career and legacy is affected almost more by it than anyone else, Marshawn Lynch, who mm. just goes on and screams down a, a PlayStation or Xbox mic for two hours uh with Jamal Adams and Bubba Wallace on the weekend. It's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I'd love to watch the 30 for 30 about that. Oh, God, yeah. Years. It'd be unbelievable. Like, mate, he did 10 parts on, um, on Michael Jordan. Do, I don't know, do, do 12 parts because you have to do 12, obviously, don't you, Adam? Um, yeah, it's just, I, I didn't, I didn't, I read it. It was fine. I read, I, I didn't really need that at that time of night, as you say, but it just kind of, Confirming from different angle, really, wasn't it? All, all of, I don't really. When we spoke to Cliff, don't really remember us talking about that. But he's one of the few who hasn't really come out with his. Obviously, I think he was injured, or was he at that point in the game as well? But yeah, he was concussed, and I yeah. think he talks about being in the, in some kind of like a holding cell and thinking what was going on, and then hearing the noise and thinking that they'd scored a touchdown, and then seeing players come in before he'd seen it on the screen. Um, I think that was his his tale about it, which is yeah. uh, it's so shit. <laughs> I, I, I said to someone earlier because uh, I said, "Oh, it's seven years since the Seahawks won the Super Bowl," and he goes, well, "You knew you went the year after." And I was like, "Yeah, I've never watched that game back. <laughs> I don't think I've ever even loaded it up on Game Pass. It might be something we do in the off season, relive it. I don't know why we would, but let's see what happens." Do you know how shit this year is, Stu? Already. And you want to do that? Are you insane? I don't know. Uh, I just saw I just saw my team lose two one to a team who had one shot and got target. <laughs> so that's what how my week's going. Manning gets hit. Ball up for grabs. Picked up by Smith. Malcolm Smith. All alone. No flags. Touchdown. see him here Orlando Franklin he just drives him right back into Peyton Manning ball comes up and then you've got Malcolm Jenkins excuse me Malcolm Smith who makes a play on the ball uh, elsewhere in Seahawks land Adam there's not really a lot else it's just the whole the rest of the NFL has gone crazy more most prominently obviously the Los Angeles Rams with um it's an end of another end of an era I think we did it right at the start with Ross way back when, when Cassius Marsh was cut. And it's it's a similar kind of level of sadness and disappointment that we don't get the comfort of, yes, it's the Rams, but they have Goff. Yeah, we almost lose in every single way possible now. Because <laughs> the Rams have a really good quarterback. Well, that's up for debate. Yeah, a better the Rams, quarterback. The Rams have improved at quarterback, I would say. And we play the team that Jared Goff has gone to next season. Do we? Yeah, the Lions. We have the NFC North in the schedule, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. so we lose three times, which is a really annoying. That last part hadn't struck me. Um, 
yeah, it it's more annoying that we don't get Goff because he is terrible. And watching some people who I'm sure we'll get onto in a certain weekly segment <laughs> uh, in a bit talk and just it's just it's embarrassing. Like he's 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 not barely middle of the road quarterback in the NFL. He's the reason that team are not playing or didn't play ten days ago against um whoever they played. Who did they lose to? Uh, Tampa. Um I honestly can't remember anything that happened over the last <laughs> three weeks in NFL. I just know what's happening Sunday. Yeah, he's the reason that they got the best the player in the league. They've got the best cornerback in the league. They've got one of the best left tackles in the game over the last decade, probably, Andrew Whitworth. They've got the best tight end one, tight end two combo in the league, probably. Although it's not that common anywhere else. And they've got two of the, probably the best, one of the best wide receiver combos in the league. And he didn't, he, he got in their way. And Sean McVay just, nope, not having any more of that and got rid of him. And yes, they give up a lot, but that's what happens when you give a, a bad quarterback all of that money and now it's Detroit's problem and Jared Goff the California kid is now playing in the Motor City um, but yeah it's just Matt Stafford is not the king he's not the best quarterback he's not far off the best quarterback he's probably available this offseason and now he goes with Sean McVay and as I said I think to you or maybe somewhere I said it Sean McVay now has no excuse really does he that's definitely true um, in talking with Mike Dugar yesterday, a fair bit about it, the Lions dropped the ball, I think. Yeah, they should have took what... If Carolina offered them that, they should have took what Carolina offered them. Yeah, if, if you can have two first-round picks in the upcoming draft, you control the draft. Um, you know, as much, yeah, they, as, much as Jacksonville you know, have the number one pick, you're, you know, with two number ones, you're not far off being in a position to go and get the number one pick if you want it that yeah. badly. Yeah. But even so, there's four, five, four, maybe five quarterbacks going in that first round. There's a good chance that one of those quarterbacks is going to be there. And also, he comes at a lot cheaper price than Jared Goff. And again, without those war wounds, obviously, because I mean, you're getting Jared Goff's shadow and he just capitulates. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah I, I, they have dropped the ball, but the Rams are just do not care about draft picks. The last time they made a first-round pick, it was Jared Goff, and Barack Obama was the president of the United States. Uh, but yeah, uh, anything else in the NFL caught your attention over, obviously, the Texans finally hired a coach, Dave Culley. Um, Nick Sirianni got the Eagles job and then obviously did not get, give him much media training and looked a nervous wreck which is somewhat unfair for the Eagles with everything going on in that organisation to put their rookie head coach up there on his own. But it's it's been it's been a weird few weeks now. I didn't know Pro Bowl. They played Madden instead, <laughs> which was it was pretty good. Um, yeah, anything else caught you at eye? Mr. Well, the, the Deshaun Watson story is obviously the one that will dominate the off-season um, and certainly the next you know two or three months before the draft. Um but no, I mean, we're in that sort of, it's a bit shit. I mean, two weeks before the Super Bowl, I, I kind of feel they should have had the Super Bowl straight after and not had the week a week off this time. Especially this year. Yeah, this time. I feel like they've lost a bit of the momentum of the season because there's no, 
there's going to be build-up because it's the Super Bowl, but it doesn't feel like there's that crescendo. And I don't know, I feel like the talk after the championship games was mad and people were just going bananas. And I kind of feel they missed a trick not having the Super Bowl the week after that this year. Yeah, it it doesn't really make much sense. The Chiefs don't get to Tampa until Saturday, which is a, a very 2020-2021 way of doing things. Obviously, COVID don't need the... You still have the media responsibilities. You just do it all on this, on Zoom and everything. Um, mm. um, what do you reckon for Sunday? I mean, Brady is just... Brady this week has been so much fun to watch because he knows how ridiculous it is that he's at his 10th Super Bowl. It's mad. And how often he's mentioned <laughs> he's at his 10th Super Bowl is, is, is so class. I mean, I really like Tom Brady. Um, so for, for me, it's a win-win situation, the Super Bowl, because I love Patrick Mahomes. I like Tom Brady. I love seeing history being made. And I think it would just be so cool. And in a way, I mean, people can talk about QB wins and all they want and how important they are. In a fortnight, sorry, in seven days, Tom Brady skewered the long-term legacy of both Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. And yeah. people can say what they want about passer rating or whatever. He went into their house and knocked them out of the playoffs. He retired Drew Brees. He talked Aaron Rodgers into retiring by the sounds of things before he obviously you know, wanted to be the star and came out of it. And if he beats Mahomes... Like, I love it when people say that Mahomes can never catch him if he wins this. And it's obviously like it's complete conjecture and who knows, but I love chat like that. I think it's great. And, you know, as fans, we should be, you know, ranking players. What else have we got to do apart from rank players and, and see who's the best and whatever? Um, I nearly jinxed Brady more than anyone I've ever jinxed in my entire life in that championship game because after he made it 28-10, I think I tweeted out that of all the Brady masterclass performances, this might be one of the best of all time. And he then threw three picks with his next three passes. So that wasn't my uh, my finest moment. But um, I'm really looking forward to the game. And I think with the Chiefs down both tackles and maybe the center now because of COVID, uh, I mean, that pass rush with Tampa is no joke. No, it's also got, you got Devin White and Levante David coming. you got Antoine Winfield um, the impressive-looking rookie, Antoine Winfield Jr. Mm. That defense is... It just causes chaos. I think both defenses do. Obviously, you've got Chris Jones, you've got Frank Clark, you've got Honey Badger, you've got the Darius Sneed, who I think it was Alistair Corp, maybe it was Matty, he talked about on the pod being the one he wanted to see what it's look at last year. And he's the top-rated DB rookie by PFF and their um, rankings and everything. So, yeah, I, I can't wait for Sunday. I think I think if Tampa win, it will be close because I just think Kansas will hang around. I think it was Nate Burleson, Good Morning Football today, brought up the um, KC New England title game from two years ago where Brady just had the ball last. They won the coin flip in overtime and he just methodically drove down the field. So if that's the situation, I'm just not overtime, but if that's the situation with like three and a half minutes to go, it's six point game maybe, and Brady's got the ball, then Brady will do enough you'd expect to win. But if KC win, I think the only way it would be a boat race is if KC win. Mm. Because I think that track team would just be ridiculous. Now you've got Bucky Brooks talking about them drafting another four by 100 meter relay <laughs> champ to replace Sammy Watkins. I mean, I mean, at least 
try when you write a mock draft. Um, I do think that James White against Travis Kelsey is going to be the probably the the match winning game. If you look at how those linebackers shut down Alvin Kamara, obviously it's not the same type of player, but the safety blanket, six, seven, eight yard passes, finding space in in the zones, the way in which that Tampa completely nullified Alvin Kamara, they're going to have to do the same to Travis Kelsey because Hill is obviously amazing, like amazing. But I could make an argument to you that Kelsey's the best pass catcher in the NFL right now. Yeah, he probably is. I mean, he's a tight end. He was, what, second in the league in passing, uh, receiving yards? Yeah, but he probably is. He's, he surpassed whatever Gronk and... Um, yeah, he surpassed what Gronk was doing mm. four or five years ago, I think. He's just... He's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's also different ways that they use him because of being me and... Um, Andy Reid's mm. coaching scheme and everything. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, Devonte Devonte Adams is like a hybrid of Nuke Hopkins and Doug Baldwin. Like he is a complete freak in, in what he, he can do the best of everyone. But the way in, uh, the way in which Kelsey just picks up soft zone and coverage and, and where the, the instinct he's got, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. I can't wait. I think KC will win for what it's worth. Yeah, me too. Um, and then it's another off, into off season where it doesn't sound like the team's going to be practicing until June and July, if then at all. Obviously, because um, as over here and as America still st- deals with um, COVID and all the all the rest of the ramifications from all that. Um, spinning a bit, Adam. I've got something to. I've got. I've got one more thing to discuss that uh, is Seahawk related, and it's Tom Brady related as well. Um, Hugh Millen has strong opinions, and he takes part in Seahawk Radio quite a lot. But in general, I find him very erudite and very interesting to listen to. He contests. So I think Steve Young has the highest percentage of cap from any quarterback that's ever won the Super Bowl, of like thirteen point four. And Wilson next year is going to be taking up 18.9% of the Seahawk cap if it's trending the way it's supposed to go. So, I mean, that, that's a 50% increase on, on the biggest ever. And Hugh Millen was saying that it, no, he, no one should take any money off anyone and take money out of anyone's pocket. As a general rule, it's not his role to do that. However, if a quarterback like Russell Wilson is saying he wants to be the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady basically gave the Patriots $10 million a year of his own money that he could have earned if he wanted to, to bolster the roster. Now, is there an argument that Wilson, who can do whatever he wants and doesn't have to do anything to help the team, but if he wants to be the greatest of all time, he has to do something with his contract to make that work? Because right now, there's no evidence to suggest that a team can go all the way with a quarterback earning as much money as he does. At what point did Brady start doing that? Because, I think it was third contract. Yeah, so, yeah, which is... Well, Russell Wilson's only third one, but also how many rings had Brady had by that point? Like, I think he had two. Yeah, which is, again, is more than... like He's he's in a completely different stratosphere, really, at that point, to Russell Wilson, really. But Wilson will have to do that at some point yeah, if yeah, he yeah, wants to yeah. be the greatest. Of, and he talks about it a lot, being the greatest of all he time. Does. He did, especially this year. So I, I, think, I think Hugh's point was not that Wilson should give any money up, but you can't say that and then not do that. Yeah, he's going to have to at some point. 
probably maybe you'd expect his next one because they're gonna pay DK Metcalf mm. a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> they're gonna have to start keeping some of these players they draft. Obviously, we, we talked earlier about letting Shaq and Carson go over third and seventh round picks and saying crap. They're gonna have to pay. You'd expect they're gonna pay Jamal, and then you've got. Yeah, so they're gonna to have to find money from somewhere, and the easiest way to get money is, yeah, as, as he says, is get it from the quarterback. So, well, the guy, the guy from Spot Track on the radio this week was saying that this year's Jamal Adams, next year's DK Metcalf, and the year after that's Russell Wilson. Now, that could be eighty-five million dollars a year over those three players. Yeah, well, I think I, th- I think if. If they keep Jamal and don't pay him, they're they're gonna they're gonna have to. Well, he's gonna hold out. Lean on, yeah. Well, yeah. But if he is okay playing on his final year, then he's gonna they're gonna have to like lean on Russ. Go look, we need you to do this, but you doing this means you get a guy who's gonna be one of the best receivers. In, well, he's on the path to being one of the best receivers in the league, keeping him around because in two years, I'll. I mean, I think Lockett's deal's up in two years. I don't see him signing another contract. I think I've said for a while now. Mm. I don't think he'll sign another contract. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. But I think that'll be a conversation not for this offseason. This offseason is is Jamal. It is how they go from four draft picks, three of them between 100 and 200, which is not ideal. Um, And how they go get more picks and how they get that because people to watch for that are people like um, Jerome Reed and things like that because his stock is never going to be higher than it is right now yeah I mean and Jaron Reed as much as he can talk about wanting to be shown the love or whatever if you look at his stats pre and post Carlos Dunlap it's quite illuminating and in fact if you if you look at his stats between the yeah. departure of Frank Clark and the arrival of Carlos Dunlap not looking great for <laughs> yeah, number ninety-one. Yeah, but if there's anyone listening from other teams who want to trade for him, um, they ignore that. Just look at the pre, yeah, with Frank Clark and with Carsten Lap, and then just give us a couple of seconds and a fourth, maybe. Just 90, so we... he's number ninety now. Dunlap's ninety-one, I think. No, Dunlap's forty-three. Oh yeah, what were they doing with that? That's a disgrace. He's still forty-three. How did I let that slip through the radar? That's we, that's we my wheelhouse. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. When we had him, and he had Snacks Harris from fifty-nine. Remember that or sixty-nine? Fifty-nine. Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, tangents are happening all over the place. Uh, <laughs> spinning the bin. Let's do it after you, my friend. Where do we start? <laughs> Go on, coming off your long run-up. Uh, NFL Network, Calgrad. <laughs> if you hadn't noticed. Someone who I I might, I might have to ask Sean. I stood about 15 yards away from last year. It was Hugh Millen, who was gracious enough to come over and take a picture. I think because he heard your name. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we had uh, oh, ESPN, Jacina Anderson, I think it was. Mm-hmm. IG, Dr. Jacina Anderson, I think yeah, her yeah, name yeah. is. And then um, uh, Mr. Mike Silverspoon in his mouth. Um, and the only one, obviously Hugh Millen wasn't because we're on the bottom or sideline. The only one who was chasing the tail of coach John Harbour was the NFL Network's own. And this week it has been... <sighs> <laughs> if no one's seen his 
I don't know what it, he wrote something was <laughs> I mean I don't like Gone Girl was less was less romantic than um article that he wrote about Jared Goff and then his stuff on Nuttall Access or Good Morning Football whichever it was was just what are you doing man like this is a guy who also his profile picture it might even still be on Twitter was him next to Calgrad Aaron Rodgers after the Golden Tate um fail Mary thing mm-hmm. like like Rich Eisen's from Michigan Rich Eisen's header and everything about on his Twitter is about when he was honorary captain in the big house how many times do you see <laughs> Rich Eisen <laughs> like he's got a Michigan quarterback in the Super Bowl I haven't seen anything from Rich Eisen because he's good at what he does <laughs> I mean, it's just embarrassing. I, don't... I mean, Silver's been on my radar for a long time, as you well know. I mean, he's a man that has chemical alley fishing around, <laughs> hoping he's not going to get a P45 through the door because Silver can do the job in replacement. It is embarrassing. And the, the worst thing is how disrespectful he is to anyone on social media that even dares have an opinion, not even a dissenting one, just an opinion. And like, uh, excuse me, I actually talk to coaches and GMs and players Yes, you are a journalist. They use you to get the message they want out there. They are not your friends. They don't give a shit about you. That's what they're there for. You are there to be used by them. And you pl- they play you like an absolute fiddle. And it's just so infuriating. Um, but hey, I guess I'll have to fuck off to Detroit now and live there for a bit. But uh, Yeah. I mean, there, there were people who went from Boston media to Tampa media. But that's mm. Boston media and Tampa media. It's also Tom Brady. Yeah, it's <laughs> a very good point. But he's national. It's like in in Sky Sports coverage of our game over here, we're hearing a lot more wheeze in the coverage. And it's really annoying. Mm. But Jamie Carragher could say we for 90 minutes and it wouldn't be as embarrassing as what Michael Silver's put out of life. Because honestly, this article was just... I think Ben Baldwin on Twitter kind of dissected it brilliantly in the same yeah. way we did, I think, mm-hmm. a couple of hours earlier. It was just... I don't get it. I, I get these a cow... I, I get... like you, When you go to a college, especially in America, there's like a, a different kind of affinity for it ever. I think we talked about that before with a few, yeah. a few different people. Like we see with Mike Dugar who spent the last three days on socials <laughs> being Washington State basketball beat the terrible Huskies basketball team. So it happens, but this there's levels to it and that's just embarrassing. Anyone for you, Adam? I'm gonna do the uh unlikely thing of giving someone a get out of the bin free card. Is it Mike Silver? <laughs> It's not. It's not. It's uh, it's all of the Sky guys in general, apart from maybe one in-house guest. But I thought the coverage of the playoffs on Sky Sports was absolutely brilliant. Um, I think Neil did a great job as a host. Baldy was a fantastic guest. Um, the Around the NFL guys are always good. I love the podcast. Cliff, friend of the show, always great. And I thought some of Jeff Reinbold's breakdowns of plays were brilliant. And I think yeah. Sky have moved across now a little bit from treating everyone like they're watching the game for the first time. And I think they're being a bit more willing to go into depth and detail about plays and situations. You're wincing, so maybe it's not as much as you'd like. Nah, I don't think it is. I think Ryan Bold, Ryan Bold, when Ryan Bold's there, 
And when bowling is there, I think it helps massively. Well, that's so, why I'm, I'm talking about the playoffs more than anything else. Yeah. I think the way in which they've covered the playoffs particularly has been really good. And it's been just, I, I found it informative. I've learned a lot from watching it. And when you go from watching like a Sky Sports football broadcast to that, it, it really is chalk and cheese. And obviously it is the people they've got in the room and Ryan Bold and Baldy have been fantastic at that. And I, I've personally appreciated it. And so if the, if Ryan Bold or, or Balding in particular do anything that's been worth, they've got to get out a bin free card so they can play that and they won't be put in the bin. Yeah, Ryan Bold's really good. Um, Balding is really good as well. But yeah, it's not, also, you just... It's not going to take long for people to figure out who was the weak point of that because he's the one person you didn't mention. <laughs> Look, I'm sure Sean's a lovely bloke. <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah. Um, I, think, I think I think Sean Gale is very good at what he does, but I think he was the novelty because he was one of the few players that would do the job in the past, and I think now it's kind of catching up with him a little bit. Yeah, he's grandfathered in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 well, yeah. I think Ryan was really good. It was pretty good. I don't listen to around the NFL. I really enjoy reading and following Greg Rosenthal or Tal on um, on Twitter. He was it's a good podcast. Yeah, he, he, yeah. I just think he's all POV. I think he's. I think they talked about this week about how if you split Brady's career up into three sections, all three are Hall of Fame mm. careers, which is just, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, one other thing. Back on my other bin, a note of praise, Troy Aikman, mm. who was for some reason just like drive by in that um, <laughs> love letter from Mike Silver, came back amazingly well saying like, I, if one of us is what was if what one of I us has, seen this one of us has to be impartial, so I'll, I'll let it be me basically. What did he tweet that? He is in an article. I can't find it, but yeah, uh, Troy Aikman. I, 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 again, someone else who gets derided a little bit. I, Buck and Aikman last week in that championship game were absolutely brilliant because mm. you've got two quarterbacks doing things complete, almost completely differently. And Rogers, I mean, Rogers is not as mobile as he once was, but his whole like energy on the field is completely different to Brady and it was just like Troy Aikman breaking down Goff was hilarious Michael Silver did not like it um, <laughs> but, but him breaking down them two and I, we, we, when Russell Wilson was struggling in LA how he was like yeah this isn't great this isn't good but for some reason because he does a few Cowboys games a year and suffers from Michael Silver's ailment in those situations he gets started a bit, but I think Aikman and Buck are uh, the best doing it because I think, uh, I mean, I've spoke to you. To, okay, we'll go into it in a minute, but yeah, Aikman was brilliant with Michael Silver. Anyone else in, you want to actually put in the bin? I don't think so. Um, I mean, we're not going to get into it, but Chad Wheeler can get in. Um, I, I, I can't even. An imprisoned yeah. bin. Yeah, I'm not going to even yeah. flirt. With that in our fun little segment about idiot journalists, put Chad <laughs> in there. I think the, the the Seahawks were lucky in the sense that things happened so quickly and they managed to get out ahead of it because their policy has always been not to talk about stuff like this. Um, and in a way, I, I don't sympathise, but it is difficult and disappointing that so many domestic violence cases only ever get crystallized in the public when there's photos. Mm. And 
it's like when there's a photo, it must be real. And I have my deepest, deepest sympathy for the, I'm going to imagine millions of women across the world. I hate to put that number up, but I'm just going to assume that it's millions of women who are abused mentally and physically, and there's no pictorial proof. And so we don't take it as seriously. Um, in this instance, there were horrific pictures. And as a result, the Seahawks dealt with it immediately and got out ahead of it in a way and got their statement out. Um, and I can only hope that in the future, there is that they are that forthright when it's a hearsay in inverted commas or something that's discussed um, as opposed to something that's given evidence in our face, you know, God knows what Ray Rice's career would have been like if there was never that video, if people would have believed him, um, uh, sorry, b- believed his uh, fiance or, or wife at the time. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, the, the charity thing is horrific and I have no sympathy for the fact that he was off his medication because he was on his medication for a reason. He would have known that he can't afford to not take it. Um, it does bring into question a lot of stuff about personnel and hiring and who is talking to these players in interviews and thinking this is an appropriate person to have on a roster. Um, that may be a discussion for another point with, with mm-hmm. someone. Um, but I found the whole thing disgusting and yeah, just my deepest condolences and sympathies with uh, his girlfriend and um, or, or fiance uh, and her family and, and everyone that's suffering with a similar thing that um, doesn't have it illuminated in this way. Yeah, I think obviously there's a lot of the, yeah, you've nailed it pretty pretty um deftly. Um but yeah, I think the the thing the the mental health awareness of it all is something which probably should be the conversations to have because yeah, the, the the support systems in these in this billion dollar industry clearly aren't there for players. It's not giving him, him an excuse for what he um what the pictures appear to show he did. But it's just that in in a time and um, climate where we kind of mental health is going to be um, a hot button topic, there just seem to be some still some some blind sides, some blind spots for organisations, teams, and people, and everything. Just is, yeah, it's just something which obviously isn't the for at the forefront of the conversation, but probably should be in the conversation going forward. Um, around everything for this sport because obviously there's a lot of talk but yeah it was just it was awful it was uh, yeah it was you just you just cannot compute being in that situation really can you but um, yeah that's enough on that kind of bop getting the bin down pretty hastily but um, one more thing on the Super Bowl when to- I think it's Tony Romo and Jim Nance this Sunday when Tony I've got this from another podcast and I don't you know what's coming when Tony Romo describes a play Imagine talking to your dog. <laughs> it's perfect. It ruined the championship game for me, but it's perfect because it, it, the things he comes out with is amazing. It's like he's doing the Nickelodeon broadcast. Yeah. It's amazing. I, Tony Romo is unbelievable, but I may have just ruined Tony Romo for a few people. <laughs> is it talking to your dog or imagine your dog is saying it? It's just a... Yeah, imagine your dog saying it. It's just some, he goes and he's like this and he's like that. And he's no, no, he's not, Tony. He's not <laughs> thinking. I'm, he's gonna, yeah, it's brilliant. It's so good. Listen to the sports uh, podcast by the Cody Nolan. I love Tony Romo. And the thing that I find most miraculous is how 
much he's brought out of Jim Nance because Nance and Sims was the <laughs> just dreariest rubbish. And now the two of them are just such a brilliant partnership and it's great fun to listen to. And I'm, I'm always delighted to hear them getting big games. Yeah, but it's also seeped through with Nance on golf, working with Nick Fowler. Mm. Yeah, so it's brilliant. Like him doing the Masters and uh, all the PGA Tour, uh, the major PGA Tour events, he's brilliant with Faldo. And Faldo's mm. not exactly an effervescent individual, is he? So yeah, yeah I think there's a, there's a reason Buck and Aikman and Nance and Romo are one paid a lot of money, but also two given the games and stages they are because yeah they're really good um anything else i think that is i think that's me luke thank you to all the people who are paid patrons harry craig dave sayers and fellow well no harry's also a fellow spurs fan fellow spurs fan part of your number um mr nathan nick wright good good people yeah if you want to get involved with all of that we we would uh, appreciate and welcome you aboard. It's patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast. All the podcasts are going to be on in uh, several different ways of being delayed and everything. If you want to get it first, if you want to even watch our recordings when the internet doesn't fail on my end, um, you can. And the way to do that is by signing up to our Patreon, all on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify as per i think also now we're on google music i think is what i uh, signed this up and they approached us right uh, uh, yes uh, so also, um, and also we turned on amazon which is why bezos has quit um we just have a massive say on everything that goes on in the world adam uh, yeah until next time this has been the pedestrian podcast go hawks